0: So of course today we continue our study here in Ephesians chapter 5 and we pick up of course where we left off last week was with this word on to awake you who sleep, rise from the dead and Christ will give you light. Even this whole passage last week is that we were talking about walking in light and how essential it is that we have light to expose the darkness uh, in our lives so that we can then expose the darkness in the world. That is our purpose as light bearers, as believers in Jesus Christ, is that we would expose the darkness of the world, but we have to expose the darkness in ourselves first, right? Right? We have to allow the light of Christ to shine and to expose the works of darkness that we might rid ourselves of the works of darkness to then be a light to expose the works of the darkness in the world. Uh, and as we continue with that in mind, we, as we walk in the light, and we're learning what our purpose is now this week to walk in the light. So verse 15 then We see then that you walk circumspectly. There's a lot about walking here in Ephesians 5, right? The beginning we talked about walking in love. Then we talked about walking in light. Now we're talking about walking in wisdom. You might see a little heading in your Bible. We're going to unpack that a little bit today uh, to, to talk about walking in wisdom. What does that look like? And First of all, he says, see then. and To say see then is to say really make sure to do it. Okay, it's not just like, well, you know, see then, if it's okay, if you could try, if you don't mind. No, see then is very intentional to say because of the light that is to shine through us and to expose the darkness, it is important that we are intentional about the way that we walk. We need to be very intentional about the way that we walk. So we see then. We are intentional about it. We are going at it. We're not going to just let life happen to us. We are going to happen to the world, right? That is our purpose. And so we see then, we are intentional, and and we've looked at in great length what it looks like to walk in love and to walk at light. And now Paul gives further instruction to walk circumspectly. Now that is quite a word, isn't it? circumspectly the word translated means to walk carefully precisely and exactly circumspect you know we get the idea of circumspect is this idea of being able to see what's going on around you i have the idea in my mind of a like an owl who can their head is on swivel right But with that, they're aware of what is going on. We need to be aware of what is going on in the world around us. But more importantly, we need to be aware of ourselves. We need to be aware of the issues, the sin issues, that Paul identifies and calls out among the church. And we've been doing that for the last few weeks here, haven't we? We've been talking about things like sexual immorality, We've been talking about, things, and this week we're going to get into even more of just identifying clearly some of these things that creep into the church. As Paul writes to the church, he's not writing to the world, as he writes to the church and saying, beware, you have to take caution in certain areas in your life because you allow these things to come in and you're not even recognizing within yourself what's going on. You're not seeing clearly. Your head is not on swivel and is not aware of what is happening in your life or what is happening in the church. So you need to be very intentional about these things and see then that you walk circumspectly, carefully, precisely, and exactly. That tells us that the way we walk is to have purpose. And to walk carefully, to walk precisely, can only properly happen in the light. And we can walk carefully in the dark, but the chances are, we're still gonna run into some things. I got four kids, my boys, they love Legos. Sometimes in the night, I go up into their room and there are Legos on the floor and I don't see them. Because it's dark. I'm going to say goodnight, and then what happens? You guys know what I'm talking about. Step on a Lego with bare feet, and it is one of the worst things that could possibly happen to you in life. (laughs) But it happens, right? And the reality is if we turn on the light, we can see that there's a Lego on the floor, and we can kick it out of the way, or we can say, pick it up. In the light, we have the ability to walk more carefully, precisely, and exactly. Now, their whole floor could be filled with Legos. But if I turn the light on, I might be able to find the exact location where my foot can go and not be in pain, right? That's the picture here. Be precise, be exact, make sure the light is on so that you can be very exact in the way that you walk in the world today. You watch where you're putting your step. Make sure there's no Legos underneath your foot. Make sure there's something solid to put your foot on. That can only happen properly in the light. So, there's building blocks here. We walk in love, then we walk in light, then we walk in wisdom. We need the love and we need the light to walk in wisdom. You see, the light helps us see so that we can be precise. It's hard to be precise in the dark. What Paul is saying here, simply put, is watch your step, be careful. So many bad things can happen when we walk aimlessly in the dark. Years ago, there was a friend of mine who was being deployed, and he had recently gotten saved, and he wanted to be baptized before he went out, right, and before he was deployed. And it was like February, and he's like, let's go do it in the ocean. Okay, let's do it. So there was a group of guys, we went down there and we go into the ocean and it was, I don't know why we did it at night, like 10 o'clock at night. But that's what, you know, when you're younger, it's just, oh, this is cool. This is great. We're going to do a baptism here. So we go down into the ocean in February, no wetsuits or anything. We just, yeah, it's fine. And we do this baptism and we're all, of course, completely frozen at that point. And we're running back to a friend's house that was right there on the beach. So we're running back to go jump in a quick hot shower. And as we're running, I didn't even know, but then later I get in the shower and I realize there's blood coming out of my foot. Because of this aimless, foolish wandering in the dark in February in New Jersey after a baptism in the ocean. There was a better way of doing this, obviously. But I wasn't circumspect. I wasn't walking in wisdom. I had stepped on a piece of glass that I had to then pull out of my foot. I didn't even know it. I couldn't even feel my foot. I didn't know I stepped on it until later. Bad things happen when we are foolish and aimless and and wandering about. And in the dark. And so Paul says, watch your step because so many bad things happen in the dark. There's so much damage that can be done. And he says that you do it not as fools. The opposite of circumspect. Going in the ocean in February at 10 o'clock at night and running then across the street barefoot. That's the opposite of circumspect. That is as fools, right? Not as fools. And that word is, is to be reckless, really. To be completely reckless. It, it actually paints a picture of what, what Paul uses is a word here that paints a picture of a drunkard. Not as fools. It's, hey, don't be like a drunkard. Some translations say it this way. Do not become madmen. Not as fools, don't become madmen, don't do foolish things, but as wise. A bit more clarity, simply put, not as fools, and you know what I'm talking about, like a drunkard, but as wise. So, what is wise then? What is wise is completely opposite of the foolishness. Of the ways of the world. And James talks about heavenly wisdom versus earthly wisdom, which is, he says, demonic. But wisdom that is from above is peaceable, it's willing to yield, full of good fruits. Further, then, he says, so not as fools, but as wise, verse 16, redeeming. The time, because the days are evil. Redeeming the time, or to say, rather, concerning the time. Recognizing the time. You ever been some, you know, maybe you have your alarm that you set in the morning and you hit the snooze button too many times, right? And then all of a sudden it hits you. Oh, no, I have to get up because I'm going to be late for work, or I'm going to be late for school, or, or sometimes you're just wandering aimlessly, maybe as fools and not as wise, and you don't recognize the time. And then all of a sudden, you look and see, oh, no, I missed an appointment, or no, I got to go. And now you're forced into wandering, you're forced into rushing about. This is the picture that Paul is giving, and he's, he's painting a picture with time And he does it in Romans 13 as well, right? We talked about that last week. As he says, now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. He uses an illustration of time, which is something that everybody understands. Redeem the time. Recognize the time. And recognizing the time is recognizing that it is high time, that our salvation is now nearer than ever before. Jesus is coming. And today we could say it's sooner than it was yesterday. Tomorrow we'll be able to say that again. It is near. The time is near, time is short. Our life is such a tiny piece of time in the history of the world and in the eternity that is to follow. It's very short, and Paul is saying, guys, he says also, he's, right, Paul writes, life is a vapor. Psst, gone. But time is something that we all understand. We actually all have to abide by time. And some of you are not so good at it, perhaps. But it's something that really controls all of us. And it's something that easily can get away from us. I just think of my kids. I blinked and now I've got two middle schoolers. I feel like it was yesterday, right? And parents, you know what I'm talking about. Some of you are like, oh, man, we just had a wedding. I remember when they were in diapers. Or you're sending them off to college. Or you've got the empty nest entirely, and you're thinking, man, I just remember when they were all little babies. Time is so short. And that's what Paul is identifying. in it. what he says in regard to the time is wake up. Wake up, pay attention, and watch your step. And further beyond just recognizing the time that we're living, uh, that that we have, is is also recognizing the time that we're living in, that Jesus is coming, right? But then even further, as it says, redeeming the time is making the most of it, and, and it's walking carefully, but it says then the days are evil. We need to notice that the days are evil, We need to recognize that as we look around, we need to call it what it is. Call the days what they are. Call the wickedness of the world what it is. It's evil. The days are evil, and and this is not just, well, some days maybe are evil, and some times are evil, and some eras are evil. No, Paul wrote this to the church of Ephesus, and it is the the inspired word of God. So as we read it, and this is a word to us today in the year 2022, we can say with confidence, as Paul could say 2,000 years ago, the days are evil. And as however long the Lord should tarry, we could still say with confidence, the days are evil. Why? Because of sin in the world. We gotta call it what it is. And the word here that Paul uses again for evil is referencing sexual immorality. Again, he references sexual immorality. We're living in in a world of sexual immorality. And we need to recognize that. We need to recognize that the purposes of the world, the things that are going on, it's all a play. And it's all coming back to, we said it a few weeks ago, sexual immorality. Trying to prime our kids. Trying to get the world to be more acceptant of all sorts of ways of living. The days are evil. But we can redeem these days. That word redeem means to buy up. Buy up the time. Take it back. Church, let's buy all the time. All the time that's out there, let's just go at it. Let's go get it. Let's collect it. Let's redeem the time. That's what Paul is saying. The world is wasting all the time that there is, but the church should not be wasting all this time. In fact, we should be buying up all of the wasted time and making it useful. Take it back from the unfruitful works of darkness. And don't allow the time that we have to be wasted. This is a a word that most people say about most things in life when it comes to time. I don't have it. Right? I don't have time. I'm too busy. And sometimes that's in regard to your relationship with Jesus. Oftentimes, people will say, oh, I'm too busy to go to church, I'm too busy to read my Bible. I'm too busy, I'm too tired, I have too much going on to stop and pray. Guys, we're not too busy, we're just really bad at budgeting our time. And Paul calls it out, redeem it. Redeem the time, don't waste it. Don't allow for idle time. We need to renew our minds, and we can buy up the time with prayer, with reading the word of God, with worship, with fellowship among the saints, with being a light in the darkness of this world. That's how we redeem the time. That's how we buy it up and don't allow it to be wasted. You notice that most of what the world offers is another waste of time, right? Like all the new things that come out these days, it's like, oh, here's another thing that you can waste your time with. And it's been this way for a long time, but maybe it's a little more obvious now. I feel this way after watching the Yankee game last night. I went to bed after 11 o'clock watching this baseball game, and it was a total waste of time. If you're an Indians I'm sorry, if you're a Cleveland Guardians fan, then you probably disagree. But regardless, whoever wins this game, wins the series, wins the World Series, the, the end of the day is, what does it matter to us? It brings a little bit of joy for a moment, but it doesn't last because we just want to win again next season. And at the end of the day, is it kind of just a waste of time? There's nothing wrong with these things, but it really makes us question, what are we doing with our time? Therefore, verse 17, do not be unwise but understand what the will of the Lord is. So that word unwise, he said, do not be unwise, and that word translates to senseless. Do not be senseless. But here's what it's specifically in relation to. He says, understand what the will of the Lord is. The will of the Lord, understanding the will of the Lord is done through the word of God. And so what Paul is saying here is don't, Be senseless, don't be unwise, don't be mad men, but understand the word of God. Dig into the word of God. Paul is challenging the church here. Don't be senseless, seek God's word. Truly, the height of foolishness is that we have the word of the living God and we neglect it. That's what Paul is saying to the church. Don't be senseless, you've got the Bible. Do you realize the value of what we hold in our hand? Especially here in the United States of America, each of you probably have several Bibles and we have these smart devices that we waste our time on instead of maybe reading the Bible, which is how many different apps that we could have access to and we can read and we can listen and we can memorize and we can study it through this device that wastes all the time that there is. But we can redeem it But how foolish sometimes are we? How senseless are we sometimes that we have the Bible? We have direct access to understanding the will of the Lord, and yet we don't. We neglect to read it, to memorize it, to study it, to know it, and to do it. Paul's saying here, don't you realize The value of the Word of God. Don't be senseless. God, who created the heavens and the earth and sent His Son to die on a cross for your sins, has given you His Word. Don't be senseless and put it on a shelf. Don't be senseless and forget about it. Don't be senseless and neglect it. Use it because it's useful. Learn it. Study it, memorize it. And do it. Verse 18. And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. And, okay, so now we're talking about walking circumspectly, we're talking about walking in this wisdom, we're talking about not being senseless, he says, but also, let's not forget some other things, some other issues maybe that creep into the church. This is quite a topic of discussion in the world today. He says, and do not be drunk with wine. Paul here is actually mostly painting a picture of how we should be filled with the Holy Spirit, which is a contrast of being drunk with wine. He's talking about making a deliberate choice, just as you would have to make a deliberate choice to get drunk, make a deliberate choice to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We need to make that deliberate choice to be filled with the Holy Spirit. However, there's still a call to not be drunk. So we might take a moment to talk about that challenge to the church. Remembering again that Paul is writing to the church and things that easily can creep into the church. First of all, Paul connects being unwise or senselessness to being drunk. Makes pretty clear, and even earlier, he uses the word uh, that I said before. He uses this word, do not be unwise, uh, or, but uh, not as fools, right? And that word, to not, as, to not be as fools, is the word used for a drunkard. Don't be as fools. Don't be as a drunkard. And now he says, don't be drunk with wine. So it's pretty clear not to be drunk. But what about drinking? This is the age-old question for the church, right? A question that comes up often, but let me just start by saying drinking is not a sin. But again, Paul is calling out sin that creeps in. He calls out drunkenness. Let's remember this, that drunkenness starts somewhere, doesn't it? Got to take the first drink to get drunk. So no, it's not a sin, but I ask you this question, is it worth it? Many of you would say that you're okay with it. You say, I'm good with exercising my liberty in Christ, and that's fine. But is it beneficial? Just like many of the other things that we've talked about already. Some other things that are called out in, this, in sexual immorality, Paul says, let it not even be named among you. So there's a little stricter call to that righteousness. Here he says, do not be drunk with wine, and the Bible will, will continue to share that with us. Don't be drunk, but it starts somewhere, and is it beneficial to us as believers? Now, I personally have a strong conviction because I have seen firsthand alcohol destroy lives. Many, 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 many lives. I can't even tell you how many. But even more so, some very, very close to me, I have personally felt the pain of that destruction. And because of that, I've asked our our elders and our pastors to join me in abstaining. I'm not telling them, that "Here's what the Bible says and you have to because the Bible says you can't drink." But I just ask, I invite them, "Would you join me? Because I've seen the destruction and I have felt the pain of the destruction that alcohol causes." And you might think I'm legalistic. Well, it's just for me, not for you. So it's not legalism. Guys, it leads to so much pain. I'm not sure if there's any good that can come, to be honest with you. You know that more than 10,000 people a year die from drunk driving accidents. That's quite a pandemic if you ask me. And it always starts with the first drink, with no intent to go any farther. But sadly, it often does. Most often, it does. I'm reminded of Noah. In Genesis chapter 9, it says this And Noah began to be a farmer, and he planted a vineyard, totally innocent. Then he drank of the wine, and was drunk, and became uncovered in his tent. Uncovered, he was naked in his tent. There was a perverse thing happening, and it started with he planted a vineyard, no big deal, and he drank of it, no big deal, but then he became drunk. There's a lot of times, oftentimes, there's an and when it comes to alcohol. And that's what I just want to warn you guys, the church. Let us be warned. And we just had a U-turn graduation today. I'm sure that several of these guys could testify and say, yeah, it starts with just one. And there's a lot of destruction that follows. Interestingly enough, in Genesis chapter 9, is the first mention of wine in the Bible, and it's associated with perversion. So be careful. That's all I want to say. Be careful, be warned, and pray, and move forward with conviction in the Holy Spirit on how you're going to handle yourself. Not just saying, I'm okay with it. I'm not going to get drunk. It's fine. Have you prayed about it? This is my answer to everything. Have you prayed about it? This is my answer to myself about everything. I'll talk to my wife about something. She'll be like, have you prayed about it? I'm like, oh, right, have we prayed about it? We have to pray about it. We have to constantly be in prayer to ask for conviction from the Holy Spirit. This is not just something that we should look like the world. I'm like, well, that's what they do, so why not? So I just want to warn you. It starts with one drink. One drink. Is it beneficial? Is it worth it? Pray and ask the Holy Spirit to give you conviction. One way or another. If it's to be free in that liberty and you can drink and you could have a have a, a small glass of wine and be okay with that, that's between you and the Holy Spirit. That's fine. If that's not going to cause dissipation, as Paul says but pray and move forward in conviction that God has given you. Now, let's not just look at this as a warning, but it's a contrast, right? He says, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. So just as drunkenness would change somebody, we could all agree that drunkenness changes people, right? All to, into all sorts of things, right? Sometimes Angry, sometimes happy, all sorts of different ways drunkenness changes the person. But now Paul is using that as an example and saying, don't be drunk with wine, but be changed by the Holy Spirit. In a sense to say, be drunk with the Holy Spirit. That the way you live your life is that you would be continually filled with the Holy Spirit so that you would be a different person. but under the influence of the Holy Spirit, not under the influence of anything else. And this filling needs to continue. This translates here as a present continuous tense. So what he's saying here is to be ye being filled with the Holy Spirit. Be under the spigot of the Holy Spirit. And you're going to have to keep coming back to it. Because you in the morning you wake up, you say, Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. And you might go about your day, and then after a while you're like, I need more Holy Spirit. Like when we drive our car around, we have to go and we have to say, what do we say? We get to the gas station in New Jersey, we have to tell somebody to do it. Just last week I we went to Pennsylvania and then... We pull a new gas station and, oh, i got to get out of the car, right? I've got to fill it up myself. But in New Jersey, we roll down the window, we say, fill it up. And then we drive around for another few days, week, whatever, seems like less and less all the time, and then we have to come back again and fill it up again. But that's what Paul is talking about here. We have to keep coming back and say, fill me up again fill it up with the holy spirit to be truly honestly addicted to the holy spirit i've got to keep coming back to that well that never runs dry that under that out of that spring would come flowing torrents of living water that's out of us the church and this filling means that when we when we grieve the spirit when we start to run on empty we get right we confess we be cleansed and we be filled we use it up and we need to fill up verse 19 then we continue speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Here's what the Holy Spirit filling looks like. To be filled with the Holy Spirit is to be thrilled with the Holy Spirit speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Now, in chapter four, we talked about the unity of the church and we talked about the way that we interact with one another. So much of our interaction is with, it needs to be with kindness and forgiveness, right? But now, even further, he gives an example. Hey, when you are filled with the Holy Spirit and you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, then coming out of you is going to be this, this joy toward each other. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So after church today, only songs should come out. Only music should come out. Some of you are like, you don't want to hear that. <laughs> but these, the idea here is, is praise to the Lord, honor to God, should be what comes out of our hearts as we're filled with the Holy Spirit. When we're filled with the Holy Spirit, there will be joyful ministry that comes out, songs, hymns, and spiritual songs. That's giving us a beautiful picture of the joy of the Lord. But so often in church, everything's very somber and serious. Our hearts, as we're filled with the Holy Spirit, would overflow with praise to the Lord and edification to one another. Psalms is speaking of Scripture, sharing Scripture with one another. Hymns is speaking of of doctrinal music. It's rich. It it proclaims truth. It proclaims the gospel, and yet we so often get caught up in speaking about all the things that are not true, all the lies that the devil is feeding us, and we start to complain to one another. But to speak doctrinal truths, to sing doctrinal truths to one another. This is what we practice in church. We have songs that are written right out of scripture, psalms. We have songs that we sing that are hymns, that are doctrinally true gospel-focused hymns. And we have spiritual songs, soulful music that speak to and minister to our soul as we minister to the heart of God, songs of praise. Altogether, this is about honoring God and edifying the body of Christ. That's what a people filled with the Holy Spirit would look like, not complaining, but honoring to God and edifying one another, making melody in our heart, as it says, is, is not only in public, truly, it's not just as, a, as we interact with each other, it's not just when we come to church and we sing songs together, but it is, it is making melody in our heart before the Lord, the worship of our heart, that our lives would be pleasing to God That who we are inside truly is honoring God. And it's not just words that come forth out of our mouths. Further in verse 20, he says, Then giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Giving thanks always for all things. Think about that. Let's say it again. Giving thanks always for all things. As you go home today, and each day this week, as you ask for the filling of the Holy Spirit, I, I, I call you, I challenge you to recite that verse, that, that line, and say, giving thanks always for all things. Not just a couple things. And I've been challenged with this For myself, in life, you know, sometimes we we have a tendency to look at all the things that are going horribly wrong and the things that are so difficult and painful and we start to complain. But rather give thanks always for all things The song of our heart, right, we make melody, and that melody of our heart, the song of our heart should be a song of gratitude, a song of things. That's what should be flowing out of us. That is what's pleasing to God. Joyful gratitude is to be the practice of the church, the practice of the believer, So that means in good times and bad times. When things are right and when things are horribly wrong. In the hills and in the valleys. I was reminded of this verse this week in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 1 to 7 says this, every commandment which I command you today, you must be careful to observe, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers. There's the promise. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness, 40 years of complaining in the wilderness, to humble you and test you to know what is in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know. That he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone. But man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Your garments did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these 40 years. You should know in your heart that as a man chastens his son, so the Lord your God chastens you. Therefore you shall keep his command, the, the, the commandments of the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and to fear him, for the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of waters, of fountains and springs that flow out of valleys and hills, be thankful because God is always at work. Be thankful because of the promises of God, that he is leading you into a land of promise, that he, is, that he has been with you all the way, to remember the fact that you didn't starve in the wilderness, That your foot didn't swell in the wilderness. That he provided every step of the way. And through it all, was there pain? Yeah, but he was teaching you through that pain. Through the hills and the valleys, there's still life in Christ. Because God keeps his promises. You know, Paul, as he writes this, giving thanks always for all things, he gets it. He was in a prison cell as he wrote these words. He gets it. Paul was with Silas in prison, and what did they do? They began to praise. And out of that, there was a guard. Their praising in the prison brought repentance. As they were set free, this guard was so impacted by their praise. He said, what must I do to be saved? And then he was, he and his household were saved and this was based out of the response Of Paul and Silas, who understood what it was to give thanks always for all things, to recognize and to be caught up in the will of the Lord because we are so filled with the Holy Spirit. So today we we have this challenge to us, the church, to be wise, to be intentional, to be redeeming the time, to be sober be filled with the Holy Spirit, to have a heart of gratitude. In closing, I want to share an excerpt from a book by Charles Stanley, The Wonderful Spirit-Filled Life. It says this, as we talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit. The real tragedy is that we have lost our ability to function in our society the way God originally intended We were left here to be a light to our world. Our lives are to be a commercial announcement of a coming kingdom. People should be able to look at us and know there is something different about us, not our clothes or our hairstyle, us. What is on the inside? There should be something different in the way we do business. There should be a clear distinctive in the way we raise our children. Our marriages should be testimonies of the love of Christ. Those who choose to remain outside the church should be enamored by the unity and love they see among believers. Unfortunately, that is rarely the case. Consequently, our society has a warped perspective on the person and work of Christ. We cannot expect them to embrace a Savior they know nothing of. We certainly cannot expect them to surrender to a Lord whose servants can't even get along. As ambassadors for Christ, believers have the responsibility of living in such a way that others see Christ in us. As the body of Christ, we are his hands and his feet. We are his mouthpiece. Pardon the cliche, but we are the only Jesus most people will ever know. That being the case It is no wonder that so many non-Christians want nothing to do with Christ or his church. They know too many Christians. And this is a charge to the church, a challenge to us, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to make no provision for the flesh, for the lusts of the flesh, to, make, to, to not be drunk with wine or influenced truly by anything of this world because it's all empty. And the more that we are influenced by the ways of the world, the more that we are a bad witness for Christ. But be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so then we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. As we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we're gonna be able to watch our step very clearly. We're gonna see what's in front of us. We're gonna be able to to be circumspect and to see what's going on as we're filled with the Spirit. We're gonna have fruitful, glorious interactions with one another as we're filled with the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that you have given us your spirit to abide with us forever. Teach us, Lord, (coughs) to walk in your ways, to walk in that wisdom to see you glorified in our lives, God.